Thanks for tuning in to the Health Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Richie Kerwin, and today I'm going to be speaking with Luis Villasenor. Luis discovered ketogenic dieting in 2001 and has been on a low-carb regime ever since, and he's used that to improve his body composition and his health. Uh, he then went on to start Keto Gains, an online keto accountability group, and he's now regarded as one of the most experienced and knowledgeable persons on low-carb and ketogenic dieting. He's also the go-to guy when applying low-carb diets for bodybuilding and strength training by many well-known leaders in the low-carb and paleo or the general fitness community. Many people will have heard about ketogenic diets and have a stereotyped idea of what that means, and that stereotype goes as far as to make many people assume that ketogenic diets are unhealthy. The vocality of some zealots in the keto community, just like zealots in any community, has also made it difficult for some people to take the diet seriously. Luis is anything but a zealot, and I know him to be a balanced advocate of ketogenic diets and evidence-based nutrition. Today, we'll speak about some of the common myths and misconceptions surrounding ketogenic diets. I really hope you enjoy this episode and even learn something from it, because I know I learned a lot. And if you do, uh, I'd love it if you left a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. Or if you're listening on YouTube, consider hitting the like button and subscribing for more great podcasts. And if you can, please share the podcast on Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, or even LinkedIn. Not only do I massively appreciate it, but it helps to promote the podcast to more people, which really encourages other guests to come and speak, which means I can get even more great content out to you. So, on to this conversation with Luis. Let's talk science. Luis, how are you doing? Hey, how are you, Richie? Very, very good. And very, very happy to have you here today. Thank you, man. Um, so, Luis, uh, just, I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. Um, we've got a lot that I'd really, really like to talk about. But just to set us up before we do that, could you give us a little bit of an introduction to uh, who you are and what you do? Okay, so I'm a Debridge version. I'm a personal trainer, a, a primal health coach, ISSA certified as well, and basically... I think a lot of their certifications, if not all of them. Uh, Menno Hesselman's personal trainer and uh, Spanish tutor. I give the, the personal course of Menno Hesselman's in Spanish. I'm a certified <clears throat> nutritionist in England and in the uh, United States. And I've been doing keto for 20 years. So that's your first uh, myth, uh, the mythified. Like uh, nothing happens if you do keto for more than three months, three years, three decades probably. Let's hope for the next uh, nine years and see what happens. But yeah. I, I think um, if, if you say to people that you've been doing keto for 20 years, they'll tell you that it's, it's at 21 years where, where it gets you. That's uh, something you probably... <laughs> you know, uh, I, I used to joke like, um, have you seen or remember the movie The Ring? Yeah. Okay, so you remember that uh, the first thing that happens is uh, you get a phone call, right? And you get seven days. So it was, I used to joke like, you get a phone call, it's like three months. I don't know where that meat exactly came from, but uh, I don't know if you recall this to say, if you do it for more than three months, you're going to die or something, or you're going to get whatever disease they could think of. I have um, an aunt that is a, a doctor, and back then, when I started probably in the 2000s, uh, she asked me what I was doing because I started uh, you know, looking better, and I asked her also about, low-carb diets because I was just, you know, there was no, not much information and just getting started. And she was like, oh, I've heard that's dangerous. It's just doing 
don't do it for more than three months theory. And it's like, okay, what happens in three months? And then she was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, okay, so why are you giving me this advice? It's like, good questions, I don't know. <laughs> There's not much research, just be careful. It's like, okay, so I'll do it for more than three months. If I die, you can come and pick me up or, you know, put me into ID, whatever. Yeah, and the next year, because that's one of those, uh, you know, members of your family you only see on New Year's or, you know, special occasions. And I was like, <clears throat> well, so I've been doing it for one year, nothing happened. Well, okay, you look great, keep doing it. And <laughs> so one year after another, after another, it's like, okay, 20 years, not dead yet. <laughs> you, show, you showed her. <laughs> I feel okay. Yeah, like, I, I still, I'm alive as far as I'm aware, so. Hey, I think you're doing pretty well. Um, and anybody who's seen any pictures of you recently will know that you're really, really doing well. So uh, you're clearly doing something right. Um, I think just to set up the, the conversation today, um, I'd really, really like to, to get an idea of what was it that got you into nutrition in the first place? And from there, how did you get specifically into ketogenic diets? Yeah, sure. Uh, this is a story like I told it probably a thousand times. Um, so when I was a kid, I was overweight. You know, um, back then in the 90s, 80s, because I'm, I'm old, uh, believe it or not, uh, being overweight was not the same as being overweight now. Just go and watch The Goonies. Uh, it's a very old movie, but it's a great movie uh, by Steven Spielberg. Um, and there was one fat kid, and that fat kid was probably like normal. Ki a lot of normal kids are right now. He was not really overweight. Or probably you've seen this meme of... Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where if anybody is familiar with the movie, if you look at the original version, you have that fat kid that eats a lot of chocolate. Well, that was me. But now you look at the remade version where you have uh, Johnny Depp and look at the fat kid from the, uh, I think it's 1990s. He's like 20 pounds overweight, like a more fat you know, fatter than the, the, the other one. And the point I'm trying to make is, yeah, it was fat, but we were three fat kids at my whole uh, school. I was one of them, but I was not as fat as people are right now. So uh, just to put it in perspective, um, I jump in between uh, kilograms and pounds because I live in Mexico. We use uh, the metric system here, but most of my clients are in the States, so I use uh, imperial methods. So... Um, uh, just bear with me with the conversions. So I was uh, at the time at my heaviest, probably about 70 kilos. Okay, and I am 167 centimeters tall. Um, if you prefer for me to say it in pounds, just let me know. Uh, Absolutely, I'm good okay. with the metric. Yeah, okay, perfect. Uh, and right now I'm the same height. Well, of course, at that time I was much smaller, right? I was probably 10 centimeters or even 15. Uh, smaller, but I weighed that. Right now, I weigh in between uh, 72 to 74. So just about, probably I'm five uh, kilos heavier right now. So I was heavy. I was, again, again, not as humongous as some people are right now, sadly, but I was heavy. Uh, so I started to diet by myself. And again, I'm talking about the 1980s, where all the information you had from nutrition was probably on fitness magazines and bodybuilding magazines. And I recall that I was um, one of those uh, people that I didn't do any sports. I like to read a lot of uh, comics, uh, look at uh, movies and so on. And so my influences were either Arnold Schwarzenegger, 
Conan and uh, Commando, things like that, and He-Man and Superman, Batman, uh, X-Men. So I said, okay, so I want to look like, the, you know, my actual heroes. Uh, what do I have to do? I remember that on one New Year's Eve, my New Year's proposition was to not be fat anymore. So I saved and I bought myself a pair of dumbbells. And I bought myself on a garage sale. The, I don't know if you're familiar with ever saw the Nordic truck device, which is like a cross-country skiing machine. Uh, I got it like for still, I don't know, probably $20 or something. Um, and I started doing that like cardio. And because I also played a lot of video games, I proposed myself to only play video games while I was on the Nordic track. You know, it was a very challenging thing because how do you actually, you know, pull and do that things while playing a video game? But yeah, so that uh, I managed to lose uh, weight with that. I became from fat to chubby and because I started lifting weights, I, you know, I liked it. I soon outgrew my uh, little, uh, you know, dumbbells uh, because I was interested in that and never had done really any sport. My father gave me one of those uh, Joe Wider multi uh, kids, you know, where it has a little bit of a pull-up, uh, uh, pull-down, uh, leg-roll thingy that he got. And I started exercising, and my body responded well. But again, it was never thin. It was just like a chubby fat. <clears throat> and then uh, I started, from there, that's when I started to really like nutrition and, and strength training. And I used to buy all the magazines about bodybuilding that I could get my, my hands on here in Mexico. It was difficult at the time. And so by the time I got to college, I really wanted to study nutrition. I didn't do so because uh, I had to run the business of the family and needed to be an entrepreneur and things like that. And so, and it was also at the time not really good scene, like only, or usually only females uh, studied nutrition or that uh, degree here in Mexico. So I went into one college. Uh, I wasn't doing very well. Uh, at the time I was a little bit depressed. I was, you know, in between, um, I had a trouble with it, with uh, some girlfriends and so on. And I don't know even how it happened. I just stopped eating. And uh, I ended up at 48 kilos. So I was uh, anorexic. I, it took me quite a while to realize that myself. But at my lowest, I remember that I was eating about probably 400 calories a day. Just uh, having all brand for breakfast, you know, the, the cardboard type. With, with water, not even milk because I was afraid of gaining weight. Um, I didn't go to the gym anymore. I wasn't training because I didn't have energy. And when I did, I just did a little bit of a spinning. Imagine that. Uh, I can throw you a picture later on, but I, uh, I joke that I used to look like Michael Jackson because I was all paste white. I had long hair. Uh, so yeah, I wasn't really uh, at my base shape. Um, and the, uh, I used to go to sleep at six, you know, because I was so tired and just to stop thinking about food. For me, it was like, wake up, go to the college, have uh, some lunch, do a little bit of, a, you know, a study or something, go to, back to sleep, you know, and rinse, repeat for the next day, just to not think about food. Um, and so what I did is just uh, change college. I started to do very well. In the other one, I actually changed. Uh, I started doing business with statistics and economy, and I changed uh, to business with marketing. And in the other school, I really excelled. It was everything great. And the other school had a big library. 
And so I started, you know, um, I went, because I was feeling much better with myself and everything else, I started to tr train again, but I wanted to understand how bodybuilders manage to, you know, gain so much weight and maintain a leanness. Of course, there's a thing about steroids, but I wasn't really interested in that. So I wanted to understand, you know, the cutting contest uh, diet and things like that. So I started uh, researching a little bit of nutrition, and then I had some good friends that were studying nutrition at the time in, in, in the other college. And probably like in so many other colleges in the States or Europe, you can go and attend a class without actually paying. You just, you know, to learn it here, and you only get the degree if you do the test or whatever. So I started on my spare time to go to certain classes that interested me, especially on the on nutrition and protein and things like that. And I really got to like that even more. So on my spare time, I used to study nutrition as much as, much as I could, live the basics. And um, I gradu graduated from uh, marketing and business, but I studied a lot of nutrition on the side. It became just my hobby. Um, and also at the time we, you know, there was this thing starting to be a thing, which is called the internet. Uh, and so I started to research on uh, bulletin boards because there wasn't really web pages. And there, I remember still, there was this uh, training and bodybuilder web page bulletin board where I actually got to meet Lyle McDonald back then. And um, he was just finishing writing his book, uh, The Ketogenic Diet. And that became one of my Bibles, along with some other books like uh, Body Opus uh, and another book by Dan Duquesne, which basically are how to use a ketogenic diet to train and maintain a lean physique. And that really sparked my interest. And, you know, I started reading the diet, made a lot of sense. It clicked a lot with how I like to eat. And so, like, because of the basics were just eat, you know, uh, meats, uh, lots of eggs, vegetables. And then if you want to do a carb load uh, on the weekends, but like, okay, this looks fine. Let's try it. I started doing it. Uh, I lost a lot of weight. I gained muscle. Uh, I felt great. So it's like very easy and straightforward. And because I'm a very metabolic person, which I certain, sometimes eat about the same things every day, for me, it was just like a breeze. And from then on, basically, it's history. Wow. And that's, that's basically how you, you got into your ketogenic diet and how you, you kind of incorporated that with bodybuilding is through that, like, let's say that initial discovery of Lyle's book back in the day. In, in a way, lots of people start keto to lose fat. And of course, there's a lot, a lot that nowadays do it for health and, you know, other reasons. But my main reason to do keto was to gain muscle. Again, I was 48 kilos when I started. And, um, the reason is I wanted to gain lean mass. I didn't want to do the uh, classic walk and cut diets. I didn't want to get fat again. Yeah, absolutely. I can completely understand and appreciate that. Um, so obviously you're you're using you know a ketogenic diet for a very specific reason, and there's there's other reasons that people can use it again for fat loss, like you mentioned. Um, I suppose just to kind of get in to help build or set this conversation, depending on who you speak with, there can be a lot of different ways of implementing a ketogenic diet, um, but in its most basic form, uh, what does a ketogenic diet actually mean? And if we can go into that a little bit more, um, what would be the main, let's say, variations upon a ketogenic diet? Okay, so 
like if you read the literature and what most people will understand for a ketogenic diet, how will you probably see it defining 95% of uh, the description of the diet everywhere? It's uh, called a high fat diet, and they usually recommend it in ratios. So about uh, 70, 75% of your calories come from fat, uh, 5% come from carbs, and the rest like 20, 25, depending from protein. So people say it's a high fat diet, moderate to low protein, low carb diet. Here's uh, something uh, that's my pet peeve. People don't understand ratios. So probably they confuse in between. They don't understand that the ratios are derived from the amount of energy or the calories that each macro gives. So there's a lot of confusion there. Why? Because people are oversimplify things. And again, uh, um, they probably don't have a background in nutrition and don't understand the terms. And that, that's one thing. And then the other is that <clears throat> um, they don't also understand the, the reason of why the diet is set up this way. So how we define the diet is a ketogenic diet is any diet that is um, low enough in carbohydrates as to make your body produce ketones. That's it. Because uh, there are various ways in which you can start producing ketones and get into ketosis that have nothing to do with the ratios. Of course, if you do the ratios, if you stop eating carbohydrates, you're going to get into ketosis. But you can also get into keto by fasting, because you're reducing carbohydrates, you're not eating anything, uh, by doing lots of exercise because you deplete liver glycogen, um, or eating low enough calories or low enough carbohydrates as to cause, again, the liver to be uh, uh, low enough in, in glycogen as to start producing ketones. Like I have this uh, presentation, which is from a slide uh, that I uh, took uh, from Ted Neyman, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Dr. Ted, um, but uh, he has this uh, graphic and he states, you can do a 100% gram carbohydrate diet and enter and stay in ketosis. And when you tell that, people go like, no way, no way in hell, you cannot. Like, yeah, you can just eat, you know, eat one or two potatoes a day and you'll be ketosis because probably you're eating like 200 calories. So... But in the end, your, your uh, energy requirements exceed that. And because your body is going to be burning through the carbohydrates very quickly and, um, and it needs more energy, what happens? Well, you eventually start to burn some body fat and produce ketones as well. So, I, I think you, you brought up something that is kind of a bit of a pet peeve of my own there, which is trying to define diets by different macro percentages. And uh, if you kind of take out the context of let's say energy to total energy balance, you know somebody's exercise and the, the the total amount of calories that somebody's bringing in, it's it's almost a, a pointless way of, of looking at it. So it's really really good that you were kind of able to, to clarify that. If yeah. we if we talk about like going into ketosis, um, just for anybody who might not be familiar, what exactly are ketones and, and what's their their role within the body? Okay, so here here's something, and I'm a very I'm a fan of evolutionary nutrition. And I found that uh, if you explain um, people's nutrition from an evolutionary perspective, you probably get the point across much easier, right? Because uh, it, it, let's understand energy or nutrients in a way as uh, energy substrates. They have a function, and the body uses them for a little bit of different things. So 
let's think, go back in the day of the caveman and so on. So the body really has um, two energy sources. Like even though we have three macros or slash four or five, uh, the three main macros are protein, carbohydrates, and fat. So from those three, only really carbohydrates and fat are energy sources. You can get energy from protein, but that's like an emergency procedure in a way. Um, protein is most, mostly structural. That's uh, the, the main idea about what your body uses protein for. Uh, then you have, I said, four, five, slash, because another macronutrient, of course. Some you know, nutrition books call it a macronutrient. When you're describing uh, macros from um, the perspective of uh, deriving energy from them, well, then you have alcohol, which is really not an, again, a nutrient because it doesn't give you any nutrition, but it gives you energy. And then, of course, you have ketones, which were just incorporated, like, I don't know how many years, but less than 10 years ago, were put or recognized into this uh, macronutrient uh, hierarchy or uh, boarding hierarchy. Uh, and so what happens is um, your body prefers to use certain uh, uh, macro for energy at different times. This is where metabolic flexibility comes in. So under normal conditions, depending on where the human lived, you could either get access to more carbohydrates or more fats. So let's suppose that you were someone living near the equator and you had more access to fruits and starches and so well, probably your diet would be more derived uh, from carbohydrates. But then comes winter, probably there, you, you don't have access to that many fruits and vegetables. You're gonna have to hunt probably, or you did it also uh, uh, at any time, but whatever. Uh, you have to hunt, you have to, then probably your energy sources will come more from uh, fats and protein because you are killing animals and animals have very little carbohydrates in them. And uh, so uh, your body switches in between these two energy substrates depending on what you fed them. So now going back to how your body chooses energy, carbohydrates are easier to burn up to a point and are pre uh, preferential uh, uh, macro in a way than fats. Fat, fats are at the end of the, of the preference because they're very hot, they take longer to metabolize and they're only again an energy source. Now, when you burn fats, uh, one of the byproducts of fat metabolization are ketones. And the thing is that uh, people say, okay, um, uh, especially people that are against keto, they say that you cannot live without carbohydrates or glucose because the brain, some uh, tissues of the human body, especially the brain, uh, need glucose to function. And that is uh, factually correct. What uh, some of them don't know or don't understand is that about 70% um, of the energy requirements from the brain and from other tissues can be used by ketones. Like uh, really, um, the brain cannot use fat by itself because uh, fat doesn't, or fatty acids don't pass through a thing called the, the uh, brain barrier, which is a protective barrier our brain has uh, basically to um, protect itself i'm doing uh, just doing uh, semantics here but ketones can pass through this uh, blood brain barrier and so the brain can use perfectly ketones as an alternate uh, source of uh, fuel and in some cases uh, it is said i'm not sure exactly um, because i don't like to go in absolutes that, uh, that it's a better fuel source 
it has again an evolutionary explanation uh, because uh, for the body, ketones signal scarcity. So you are more focused on uh, doing your things, you know, looking for more food and so on and so on. That's one of uh, why people report they feel much better, more energized and more focused while being on a ketogenic diet. Uh, because again, it's an idea of scarcity. So you have to be super focused on doing your course and performing better, otherwise you would die, right? It doesn't mean that it's bad for the brain. It just means that you have to be more aware. That's why people get wired on ketones. Now, a big error and myth that I see constantly is that people think that if they ingest ketones, they will get the benefits of, uh, of the diet, right? And not to a point it can happen, but in reality and for the sake and the context of losing fat, it does not happen. Again, ketones are a byproduct of fat metabolization. So it's the end product. You burn your own body fat or you burn dietary fat and then you produce ketones and then your body can use these ketones as energy. It gives you clean energy. It keeps you focused. It's great. It, it uh, also, another side effect, it, it sort of su suppresses hunger. That's why, again, because you are uh, uh, giving the idea to your body that you are, there's not really food in the environment. Who can look for food when you're thinking about food all the time, right? Makes sense, right? It, 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 it's, a, it's, it's very logical when you look at it that this way. And now, exogenous ketones, what happens is they will give you the uh, cognition and mind benefits, uh, they can be used for therapeutic purposes. But if you back, go back to about 10 minutes on, my, uh, on this interview, and remember I was talking about the order of the energy substrates, how your body burns each uh, energy substrate. The actual order is alcohol, then insert ketones, then protein in excess, then carbs, and then at the very end, fats. So you burn those fats, you generate ketones, and what happens if you are exogenously ingesting ketones? Basically, you are stopping or reducing fat oxidation. So I see a lot of people that want to uh, lose body fat and they're abusing ketones. What they're doing is stopping their own body fat burning. Absolutely. It's, it's one thing that I've, I've heard of multiple times um, that people are trying to, let's say, increase their ketones by taking exogenous ketones but it, it's it strikes me as something that's completely counterintuitive because we are trying if somebody is trying to burn excess energy from their body they're trying to burn excess fat the last thing you want to be doing is adding an extra energy source into your body to, okay. to kind of to reach that goal but that, that's because uh, they've been badly informed especially by these companies that are selling the ketones and they tell you yeah it's uh ingest ketones or use them and you're going to be burning fat. No, it doesn't work like that. It's only, you only, it only works, you only burn fat if they are your own ketones. If you're adding them exogenously, I even call the, it false ketosis because yeah, you're going to be using those ketones at the expense of not burning your own body fat. So again, it's counterproductive for the, the purpose. They can be used for probably uh, certain sports applications, for certain uh, therapeutic applications, for biohacking, cognition, but at the sake of stopping or reducing your own body fat burning. Uh, and like point, of course. Uh, it doesn't mean that it halts it because energy substrate utilization 
uh, it's a very flexible process unless you are very metabolically deranged. Uh, but for most people, it can be it's something that your body learns to do. And this is where sometimes uh, you hear about the term uh, fat adaptation. If you come from a very high uh, carbohydrate diet and you haven't been properly using fats as fuel for a long time, let's say all your life and you're probably obese uh, uh, and so on, you're probably insulin resistant. And so you have very uh, uh, sort of degree or trouble metabolizing uh, carbohydrates. But that can be in a way reset or regained if you stay on keto for, for a couple of months or or like more time, but it can, something that you can regain. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that kind of probably ties into a lot of the, the recent research on using lower uh, dietary carbohydrate approaches when, when dealing with conditions like deep diabetes, which are kind of noted for having, you know, severe, severe degrees of, of, of insulin resistance. But something that you mentioned there was, uh, and I just I, I caught it, was misinformation um, around ketones and uh, the misinformation that, let's say, different sources are providing like companies in the case that you were you were talking about manufacturers of exogenous ketones one thing that seems to be pervasive in all aspects of nutrition and in all different diets is that you will have people that will have different misconceptions based on misinformation about that diet and, and that happens for everything it can be a, a keto diet it can be a paleo diet it can be um a vegan diet or a vegetarian diet whatever um but i think just from your own experience what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions of ketogenic diets um, from people who, who don't know any better who, or who have never tried to, try to learn more about ketogenic diets? Okay, so uh, my, my favorite one, the first one is that uh, you have to eat fat to be on a ketogenic diet, that it's a high-fat diet. And, like, again, people crucified me, like, 10 years ago when I started keto gains, and I used to tell them that, no, it's not the case. Like, go back and read the book. And uh, we're quoting Dr. Finney and, and Bullock. Go read the book. And it's like, yeah, go and read the book that Dr. Finney and Bullock uh, published. Uh, in one of the, he has this quote, and, and I even have an Instagram post about it. He explains that a ketogenic diet doesn't have to be necessarily high fat when your main goal is to lose body fat. Because basically the, the explanation is when your body is high fat, you already have the, the, the high, part, high fat part of the diet. You want to burn your own body fat, not keep refilling the tank. So to start losing your own body fat is just reduce carbohydrates so your body goes into ketosis, keep protein at a good adequate level, and just, you know, play around with the fat. Eventually, when you are lean enough, yeah, you start eating more dietary fat because that's your main source of energy. As I said before, protein is not for energy. Carbs is either carbs or fats. So if you're reducing carbs, well, you have to increase fats up to a point because you can get that energy from your own body fat, and that's the idea when you want to lose uh, you know, weight. That's one thing, and that's why uh, I created this uh, phrase or coined this term that I t uh, like to say to my clients, which is protein is a goal. You always eat protein no matter what, and you calculate protein depending on your lean mass, uh, a little lower, a little higher, depending on you, you know, how uh, uh, big your body is. And if you want to gain muscle, you have to eat a little bit more, or if you're between a certain age bracket. So protein is a goal. Carbs are a limit, because why? You want to stay ketogenic. And then fat is a lever. A lever, you know, because if you want to lose fat, you eat less fat. If you want to maintain, you put it on neutral. 
And if you want to uh, gain weight, probably will increase dietary fat. That's it. And it's a very simple way to understand uh, the three macros on, on keto. So that's my, my first, uh, the first myth. The other myth goes related to protein, and it's, well, uh, people are afraid of eating protein because they uh, think, and it was also, this is a myth that got uh, parroted, uh, I'm not going to name names, but a famous blogger started doing it a lot, and I think it did a lot of harm, and he still promotes it, uh, that protein turns into chocolate cake. That's not how it happens. Like, uh, because uh, gluconeogenesis and things like that, people are afraid of eating protein because they think it's going to kick them out of ketosis. And the reality is that you would have to eat an enormous amount of protein, more than you can physically probably eat, to actually hinder uh, fat burning. Yes, protein, and depending the type of protein, especially if you drink lots of whey shakes, are going to cause an insulin spike. And that can... Uh, throw you out of ketosis or reduce ketone levels for a while, which is very different than getting kicked out of ketosis by eating lots of carbs and, uh, you know, basically refilling your, your glycogen source. Because, again, misinformation or lack of knowledge, there's a very different way to, you know, go transitionally out of ketosis from an insulin spike. You'd go probably for a couple of minutes, hours, depending, to go out of ketosis for hours from refilling glycogen stores. It's totally different. And people don't understand that even uh, under certain conditions, even if you're not eating carbohydrates or protein, you may go out of uh, ketosis because your body does things like it's supposed to do, like uh, raising cortisol, uh, waking up in the morning, or even uh, you know, getting worried or things like that. Your body raises insulin because it's an energy. Uh, it's a way of releasing energy in your body. And so, probably you're going to go or reduce ketone levels, and there's nothing bad with that. It's just your body doing bodily things, right? So keep protein at a moderate to high level because there are a lot of nuances. Again, people don't understand. Protein is structural. When we talk about protein, people just think that it's for building muscle and say, I don't want to get muscly and I don't care about muscles. No. Your whole body is made out of protein, not just your muscles. And it's not just abs, and it's just not biceps. It's everything that you are right now is made of protein, and you degrade on a daily basis. So um, you need protein not just for your muscles. You need protein for nails, hairs, enzymes, hormones, cells, everything. And there's a protein turnover every single day. So you don't get at least the minimal, which is much higher than the ERDA suggests. You will start to basically shoot yourself in the foot. That's why you get, in a way, uh, the reasons for sarcopenia. We start to eat less protein as we ate because our uh, taste bud changes. And there's another thing called um, leucine sensitivity. Leucine is one of the three main amino acids. And it's the one basically that triggers a thing called MPS, muscle protein synthesis. It tells your body to start uh, producing or creating a lean mass. As we age, we become, just as we become insulin sensitive, we start to become leucine sensitive, which means in basically in, in layman terms that you need more protein that you ate before to elicit the same effect. When you were 20, you had 15 grams of protein, you could start uh, the process of creating muscle. But when you are 45, when you are 50, you, 15 grams of protein won't do, won't do it. Probably you need uh, 30, 35. So exponentially, 
someone that has probably ate 80 grams of protein when he was uh, 15, 20 years would need about 125, 130 when they're in their 60s. And if you do that and pair it with strength training, you avoid uh, this thing called sarcopenia. Basically, a lot of people just give this uh, or take this as granted that they will lose muscle and, and, and muscle tone and so as they age. Yes, it's normal, but it also can be prevented. And we see it every day with our clients, uh, which are basically 60, 65% of women over 45. They're gaining muscle, they're losing fat, they're reversing osteoporosis. Why? Because we adjust the protein intake compared that with strength training, and they're getting, uh, in some cases, better results right now than when they were 20s. Like I have this uh, lady that she had a great figure when she was 20, and now she she's like uh, 57, I think, almost nearing 60, and she sent us the other day a picture of her in her wedding dress, and it's loose, right? And looks and, and she has now biceps, uh, you know, toned biceps arms like she wanted, and she didn't have them when she was 20. So it's like the difference between ingesting adequate protein and pairing that with a little bit of strength training because you don't have to go, you know, full Arnold. Just do a little bit enough as to give stimulus to your body. So those are my, my main two, uh, uh, basically, myths. And, and the last one that I would say is uh, a ketogenic diet has to, can be healthy, and it's healthy if you eat uh, proper nutrient-dense foods. A lot of people, because of the high-fat idea, so they start to eat the same thing they used to eat before. Uh, I'm talking about pizza and uh, candies and so but They make them now with high-fat and low carb, and they keep their same eating habits, which were bad in the first place. No, like really a ketogenic diet should be more so like a cousin of paleo, I'd say. It's like a, a, what normally, probably you've heard the term, uh, it's called winter paleo. It's just more meat heavy, more fat heavy, some greens and so on, but you just take out starches, rices, uh, fruits and so on, and that's it, right? So it's just a nutrient-dense food, that should be the focus. Uh, you know, just let go of the bad things that gave you bad health in the, in the first place. You can probably incorporate them in special occasions, but the, the, the thing is that I see people, they want to make every day a special occasion, and they want to, you know, have a cake every single day. That's why they have, a, you know, in Starbucks, uh, cupcakes and things like that. A cake was a once-a-year thing on your birthday, not a once in a three-hour span of time. And that's what my, my, my trouble with uh, normal nutrition right now and uh, moderation is key and, you know, uh, if, if it's your macros, whatever. I, I'm actually uh, I'm really, really glad that you brought that up because what you're saying is that um, a ketogenic diet is something that should be based around more of a, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, more of a whole foods approach where we're avoiding a lot of the excess that's caused by the fact that we have so much access to highly processed, highly palatable, very, very, you know, calor calorically dense food, um, which, you know, like, obviously, if we pair that with a lot of other factors, is one of the reasons that we're kind of suffering from an obesity ed epidemic here in the first place, because it's very, very common for people to, like you said, treat themselves a lot more regularly than we should. Like you said, back in the day, a cake was something people had very, very infrequently. Um, whereas now a cake is, I'm going for a coffee, I'll just have a slice of cake with that as well. Um, so I, I think that's a really, really 
good approach that you know or, or a good way of thinking about it you know because you're using a ketogenic diet to move people towards a more uh whole foods based approach and when somebody goes towards a whole foods based approach no matter what it is they tend to avoid a lot of the processed foods uh and a lot of that uh hyper caloric hyper palatable stuff that just makes it very very easy to overeat and very very easy for people um to gain weight and and kind of just based on uh, just coming off of that conversation there if if we talk about your own diet just to give a bit of an example of what a um a ketogenic diet can look like for somebody who's particularly active like yourself because you know anybody who's seen a picture of picture of you will know that you're you know you're very very physically fit um what does a kind of a, a typical diet look for like look like for you i'm uh, like, I, like i said before i'm a very methodological person and uh, it's a very boring diet but uh it's boring but it's effective and it's the best way to maintain or count macros without counting macros it's just eat this the, the same things almost every day i'm a very fan of um i don't know if you've heard the term decision fatigue okay so what this entails is the more choices you have to make the more energy you're expending probably uh usually on useless things and then willpower draws or, or diminishes throughout the day there's even a, a book on the on the topic and it's a very it's actually a psychological term that that is studied just for reference um there was this study shown that um on a prison in the United States where they were looking at um inmates that got uh into the jury uh, for revision of you know their terms and and so on early in the morning had better outcomes than those that were uh revision or taken for audience uh later during the day and then uh if that sort of reset it after lunch what they found out basically is this uh decision fatigue uh people make better decisions when you are not tired when uh you are well fed uh when it's early in the morning again because will power and uh boredness takes a toll on you right So how many decisions do you have to do during the day? The first one probably is what are you going to wear, right? For the day. Uh, and basically you dress to impress or to combine or for the season whatever. Look at the top entrepreneurs or business owners uh, of this uh de- de- decade. Steve Jobs, uh Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, what do they have in common? You look at them, you know, take a picture of uh in uh, your mind they dress the same every time that you look at them in in a video or an interview they have the same uh sort of clothes you will remember uh Steve Jobs with a black turtleneck and white sneakers uh you remember Zuckerberg with a probably a blue shirt and um uh, sandals uh Bill Gates with a white uh, uh shirt right with uh, with a button shirt what they do is they dress the same so they don't have to think about what they have to dress and and that can also be applied uh, nutrition and i do that with my clients just keep it simple if you don't want to track macros just create a meal plan with some nutrient dense foods that will cover about 80% of your nutrition and start to eat the same for a lot of people it's just like i cannot eat the same things like and when you actually see their diary that you're already eating the same you like the same foods like probably you all have eggs every morning or some of you do probably you're going to have let's say yeah so someone that is not very healthy pizza three out of four days or burgers and things like that you're already eating the same at least for four days in a week 
So it's not that hard. And so going back to my to, to your question, what do I eat in a in a daily basis? I almost yeah, in a daily basis I eat three four eggs, like a uh, five hundred gra- uh, pounds of ground burger. Uh, I may change with salmon or so, depending. But like four or five out of seven days, that's what I eat. Uh, coffee, uh, some greens, mostly uh, spinach or uh, of course uh, avocado. Um, Labne, which is like a Greek yogurt that we have here, like a Turkish, which is basically just uh, uh, protein and fat. Maybe it's like quark. It's uh, that's not something that I eat every day, but it's uh, something sporadically because I'm a good Mexican. Of course, I eat lots of uh, chili for vitamin C, <laughs> and uh, basically that's um, about my my diet. Um, I have two big meals a day most of the time. I I do a sort of intermittent fasting. A protocol where I fast for 16 hours on average. And so I break my fast always. That's uh, one of my commandments. Before I train, I, ha- I do have a, a protein shake with coffee and uh, some MCT. But then usually after the training, I have uh, my one of my biggest meals. And probably a few hours later, I'll have a little bit of leftover, more protein and so. But that's basically how I eat most of the time. I, I, I think, and I, I, th- you, I think you'll find this quite commonly, but some of the most successful dieters tend to follow the same food plan and eat the same foods day in and day out. And like you said it here, you said it, you know it's a little bit boring, but it doesn't necessarily need to be boring. Um, you know, you can you can like depending on how good somebody is with cooking, you know, you can you can play around with the same food ingredients and come up with a lot of different uh, ways of doing it. And like just listening to what you're eating there, you know, it, it does sound. Like for me, as somebody who's like, I, I don't follow a ketogenic diet. For um, for somebody like me and what I eat, it sounds very, very similar to what I eat as in like there's a lot of protein in there. You know, you're getting eggs, you're getting some dairy, uh, you're getting some meat, you're getting some vegetables in there as well. Um, like the only difference is in my case would be I probably eat a little bit more fruit and occasionally have some um, some grains, whole grains or something like that. It's not a major difference. And I think that's that's a massive misconception that people have about ketogenic diets is that they're completely different from what a standard diet is, but they don't yeah. have to be, you know? Here's a, another thing. It's a, for me, why, why I eat like this? First, because it covers like 80, 90% of my nutrition. Second, because it's quick and easy. Like I barely, I, I don't, for me, time is luxury. So I just get up. It's already pre-portioned. I just, you know, I cook it. In, it takes me probably five minutes to cook, put it in the grill and cook it. It takes me another 10 minutes to eat it, and I'm done. I don't have to think about what I'm going to eat today. And it's just to put spices on it, which is something also people forget. There are great, uh, uh, and even more so, companies that sell incredible spices that are super ketogenic, that are basically just, again, ground pepper with different, uh, uh, you know, curry, cumin, things like that. And you can create, make different uh, things just by adding that on the fly. And again, it's it's uh, easy, right? And um, I don't know. You're, you're familiar with Marie Kendall, so from uh, optimizing nutrition, like uh, every time that we put a lot of our clients uh, in there in, in the nutrition score, uh, they usually get like 85 percent of uh, their uh, over their nutrition recommendations just by doing this. It's very easy. Another thing that I forgot to say, I, I'm a big fan of uh, salmon and, and sardines, so I try to eat them at least uh, three, four times a week, even in small quantities. But again, because that's how you increase your nutrient density. There are 
a lot of forgotten foods. I also sometimes uh, ground the uh, liver in my ground beef, so to get also more uh, vitamins and nutrients in there. But again, it's very simple. And uh, the best thing is also, it's not expensive. I'm eating mostly eggs and ground beef, depending on if I want it grass-fed or if I don't care and just go to the local butcher, I can get it uh, like a more high-end or I can get it super cheap. And that's another major factor for people because a lot of people are concerned with, with you know, uh, ketogenic diets or any diet in general. People assume that they're going to be spending a huge amount of money on it. So it's good to know that you're able to, to do it in a much more economic way. The thing um, is, if, if you spend, like if you actually do the, the tally and review how much you spend on, on crab food, usually, uh, and this is another exercise that I like to do with people that are complaining about being expensive, is, yeah, you're probably spending... I don't know, $20 a day or more, depending on what you're eating, and you're eating crap. You, you don't account for that $3 uh, monster drink or the $4 Starbucks on the cupcake and things like that. Probably you're spending $30 on food. If you do this properly and you get attuned to it, probably you're going to spend 5 to $10 or less. And the get, great thing is probably you're just going to have two meals a day because you're really full. And once you it clicks on you, you are not hungry. You can go for 16, 18, 20 hours without eating and dedicate that time to doing more productive things instead of just being, I want to eat, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. That's useless, that's a waste of time. Absolutely, um, I think it's, it's, it's a major change that needs to be, uh, to come about in people's way of thinking about food as well and the way they're, they, they, they approach their diet. One thing I wanted to ask was, when you have somebody who's coming or changing from, let's say, a standard diet that's higher in carbohydrates and they want to give keto, uh, ketogenic diets a try, um, what are some of the major issues that people face when they're starting out a ketogenic diet? And what are some of the strategies that you use um, to help them overcome those? Okay. So it really depends. Uh, again, um, people are highly different in this uh, area. Uh, but the main thing that people will face is probably uh, it's the, the so-called uh, keto flu, which has nothing to do with the coronavirus. <laughs> so um, people, when they start a diet, especially when they have a, some sort of, a, let's say, bad nutrition habits, they come from a highly processed uh, diet where they eat lots of carbohydrates, uh, lots of processed foods uh, are not really, in a way, metabolically flexible. What they will experience is uh, probably lack of energy, uh, muscle uh, aches, uh, probably uh, their head hurts, things like that. And that's basically, um, they tend to think that they need carbs because of course they eat carbs and they feel uh, better immediately. What it's really happening in most cases is that they are experiencing um, uh, electrolytes, uh, depletion or uh, dehydration. And because of the name dehydration, uh, which is a misnomer, people drink most more water and it actually makes them feel a little bit worse. Uh, when we talk about dehydration in nutrition, most of the time it's not just water, it's uh, electrolyte balances. So basically the three main electrolytes are uh, sodium, potassium, and magnesium. And of these three, the most important is sodium and potassium. Because there's a thing called a sodium potassium pump which basically what it does it uh, helps uh, your cells get energy. It's a, I like to give this uh, example, but if you look at uh, pictures like Star Wars or Star Trek, you remember the portals or the doors, how they open, right? Like, true. 
Well, basically, uh, cells open like that, and uh, our body works with electricity. Sodium and potassium basically have different charges, and what they do is, uh, if, if they, they are balanced well enough, they help your body get nutrients into your cells. That's one of the things. And also, okay, uh, potassium works, uh, helps your, your heart basically pump and so on. That's when you're very low on potassium. When there's a mismatch, you get tachycardia. People on keto sometimes report uh, getting tachycardia, and they freak out because they relate that to eating a high-fat diet, and they say, yeah, I'm eating high-fat. I'm going to get a heart attack. Time to leave this uh, freaking diet. No, it's not the diet that's causing that. It's most of the time, I'm not saying all of the time, probably just, you know, eat a little bit of avocado and you're going to feel instantly better. Like you could probably eat a, a banana as well, but then you get kicked out of ketosis, right? But that's, uh, I think, uh, one of the most important things that people have to be aware of and give proper importance to it because basically they say, yeah, I'm uh, using salt. I'm salting my food. Oh, yeah, I'm eating avocado. If you actually manage and look at how much they are eating, they are not meeting the minimal requirements. Like we suggest uh, in between five to seven grams of sodium a day. Sodium is not salt. Salt has sodium, but it's not the same. Um, it's about uh, 40, 45% of the weight of salt is sodium. So you, we will be talking about 10 to 15 grams of salt. Then potassium in between one to three grams a day. And then uh, sodium and potassium have to keep this ratio that is between five to one or um, three to one, sort of, depending, uh, like you may need more or less potassium, but that's the ratio that the optional or optimal ratio you, you want to keep. And then magnesium, again, uh, you can go higher. It's up to, to the person. I have at least 250 grams, 500 grams, uh, uh, sorry, milligrams. It works great for most people. You can get a lot of that just from eating whole foods, but you know, it never fails, especially when you're starting the diet to supplement. So um, I don't know if you have a, a, a recipe for keto rate. If someone's interested, we call it like that. It's basically an electrolyte lemonade. I can uh, link uh, the recipe for it, but it's basically get X amounts of sodium, get some sparkling water, get some cucumber or some other fruit or things you like. Uh, you can get low salt, which is uh, salt reduced in sodium, but higher in potassium. You mix everything else, just like if it was um, a mojito. You leave it overnight, and then you drink it throughout the, the day. And it's a very refreshing drink that helps you refill your electrolytes. Okay, and so that, that's one of the main, uh, let's say, ways that you would use to help people deal with that keto flu that they, they tend to experience when they're uh, going on the diet initially due to the, the change in electrolyte balance that occurs. Okay. Uh, if, if you take care of your electrolytes, electrolytes take care of you and you'll be uh, feeling incredibly well and not going through the lethargy process I'd say like 80% if not more of the cases that's that's the issue there are some people that take longer to you know harness the, the energy from keto but most of the time that's it the other thing would be stop ketifying foods you know start eating whole foods like I said before meats like whole meats real meat not pre-made uh, you know, a TV dinner stuff, you know, just grab meat like in a butcher or Costco, things like that. Greens, not something pre-made, not a lot of keto lasagna or, you know, make, you know, your own food from scratch, eggs and so, and, and you'll have a much easier time.
Absolutely. Um, and it's a great way just to implement a diet, just to make it predominantly whole foods based. Uh, one thing that um, I really, really like to discuss with people and talk about is not demonizing specific foods or not demonizing specific diets, but talking about diets as a whole. And if we talk about a diet that has a name, so for example, if you say a keto diet or you say a, or a vegan diet, for example, and I'm just using two, two, two different random diets here, it's very, very easy to have two different forms of that same diet. So you can have what would be considered to be a, a good or a better, more health-promoting keto diet and one that's not so health-promoting. The same with a vegan diet. What would you say would be some of the issues with a diet, a keto diet that is not health-promoting or may not be useful for long-term health? What would be some of the characteristics of a diet like that? So first of all, a diet that is not nutrient-dense, that it's uh, mostly dependent on processed foods, that it's mostly dependent on uh, higher fat and not paying attention to protein. And again, a ketogenic diet doesn't have to be uh, vegetable devoid. And that's a, also a big error. Like when I started doing keto, uh, I, I didn't mention this, but I got tired of questions and attacks and so on. And so when people ask me what diet was, uh, was I doing, it just said I'm doing a bodybuilder's diet. And if you look at my plates, uh, it's mostly green. I like to be big salads. Like one of my favorite dishes is a cob salad. So it's, uh, you know, lots of lettuce. I add uh, spinach. I add eggs. I add salmon. I add uh, some, like I'm not a big fan of the classic keto sta staples like bacon and butter. I never, I actually, have, I, 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 for real, I, I'd say that probably I haven't eaten like more than four sticks of butter in my whole life. Like I, I like I don't care about butter. Like I don't see the fixation with it. So I, I cook my food with you know with cooking spray, coconut spray or olive oil, with with a spray. I don't like to you know why add unnecessary fat if I want to stay lean. I'd rather have the fat come from the fat that it's intrinsically in my food, like eggs or some beef or salmon. That that has unnecessary fat that I like that that I need. Why add more fat unless I wanted to gain weight? There's no sense. Um, so, sorry, I lost my train of thought here. <laughs> uh, we were talking about... Uh, we are talking about different types of ketogenic diets that can be better um, yeah. or worse for health. Yeah, so basically sticking to nutrient-dense foods and avoiding all these... Like the same that happened with paleo, keto products, right? In some occasions, they may, you know, like let's say that you are at a party and you want to bring a cake. Okay, you can probably bring a keto cake. It's going to be, especially if it's handmade, artisanal made. I know people that make incredible uh, recipes uh, for keto that are, even, in some cases, even better than uh, the traditional version. But again, it's a cake that should be a one-off thing, not like an everyday thing. When you are eating processed food, like 80% of the time, even if it's keto, I think there's something bad here. And um, this is another saying that I love to repeat to my clients. is change habits, not ingredients. Otherwise, you're going to end up, you can gain weight on keto. That's another myth. People don't think that you can gain weight. You can certainly gain weight on keto. And you cannot lose weight. And that's another thing that I see, especially in, in lots of uh, keto forums. I'm not losing weight. What am I doing wrong? And it's like, first of all, you're eating more than you need. Second, probably you're eating more. Uh, your diet is, is fat-based instead of 
you know, protein-based or, or you're paying more attention to fat rather to the essential micronutrients, I'm eating lots of processed crap. Like, usually the answer is, I'm not losing weight. What do I need to do? Increase your fat. Eat fat bombs. Like, why? Why? You want to lose fat. So you don't have to eat fat bombs. And you look at the fat bombs and they're just basically uh, bowls of uh, either butter or coconut oil with chocolate and nuts and uh, maybe a little bit of stevia or whatever. And they're eating like five of them. Okay, guys, you maybe have a bad relationship with food. And the only thing that you're doing is changing the ingredients, but the bad relationship is still there. You have to address the, the, the problem, not just change the flavor or the nutrient profile. That's not how you fix yourself. Absolutely. I, I think that's a really, really good approach. Um, uh, I, might, I might use that in the future with your permission. Uh, Luis, you know, change, uh, change the, your mentality around food is, is so much better than just kind of saying, okay, well, this is, this fits my diet as in it's keto or it's vegan or whatever. Um, it's just not the right approach to go with it. Um, Luis, I am so appreciative of the time and the information, um, and the experience that you've kind of shared with us today. Um, before I get like, uh, ask your details on how people can kind of follow you. One thing I want to ask, and it's because somebody asked me to ask you specifically, is do you ever eat any carbs at all? As a, the, the, when, every time that I say that I've been to keto for 20-something years, people are, but have you haven't had a carb since uh, 2000? It's like, of course I have. The, the, uh, like, I'm not black-white. Um, and like you said, there are no, I don't really see foods as bad or, or evil right? Sure, it's not evil. Insulin is not evil, of course. Uh, what I like to say uh, to myself and my clients is uh, foods have, uh, look at them like a, like a spectrum of uh, how good they are for your current objectives, right? So is your, if your current goal is uh, to lose body fat, will that food take you closer or farther away from your current objective? Like, I can, and here's something that I do. I normally don't do cheat meals unless it's a very special occasion. Like I, I, I myself use this approach and I tell, tell it to my clients is, okay, you want a donut. Okay, go and get, I don't know, which is the most famous uh, chef in uh, England? Huh? Gordon Ramsay, let's say. Okay, let's say Gordon Ramsay. Okay, go and get a donut made by Gordon Ramsay that has, uh, I don't know, uh, flakes of gold uh, with uh, unicorn tears and that will cost you $100. Probably that's a, a donut that it's worthwhile. But don't go to Dunkin' Donuts and, and, and get a you know, $2 donut. That's just being, uh, uh, that's, uh, being sloppy in a way, you know, uh, the, the, the difference. Like when I break the diet, normally I stay in between 15 to 40 grams of carbs depending on what, of course, if I want to eat some, more veggies or less. If I'm going to be training very heavy that day, if I'm going to do like two sessions, I normally do. I haven't done in a while this year, but I used to do last year jujitsu in the morning and then strength training of the Olympic style in the evening. Well, probably that day I'm going to have a little bit more carbs because jujitsu is more explosive and some of the Olympic lifts maybe uh, or um, uh, uh, Power building style lifts are more uh, carbon. Uh, when they are very explosive, they may need a little bit more carbs. But again, I'm still in between 40 grams of carbs a day. I, I'm not eating a potato. I'm eating more carbs and probably uh, veggies and things like that. 
I do use, and uh, sorry, um, paleo purists hate me, I do add glucose on my pre-workout drink because the sake of having a super fast acting absorbing carb, and again, I'm on this for performance, not for trick, it's uh, super important. If I had potato, it doesn't hit me when I want the carbs to hit me, right? So that's what I do. But for example, uh, two weeks ago, we were into this big uh, party where they, you know, imagine Vegas style party where they has these amazing uh, dishes and they had this dessert table. And so like everything artisanal made, well, of course I partake it on that and I'm back on track immediately after the party's over. Like it doesn't really affect me that much. Like uh, because I've been in keto so well for so long, I can go in and out of keto very rapidly. And the worst thing that happens to me, people freak out is probably if I do a really carb load, I may gain four, eight kilos in a day or over the span of a week, but it's mostly water and glycogen weight. In the next three, four days, I'm back on, on my normal weight. And I don't look fat nor bloated, just probably look a little bit stronger, but because I'm already lean and glycogen depleted. But it's something that I don't do every week, every month. It's something that I may do every four, three months or so. Like I have usually them counted, and on average, I may do like six a year. That's fantastic. And I think that, that that's down to having a really, really good set of habits ingrained into how you, you structure your diet normally and then just having a better relationship with food and being able to say, okay, I'm happy to enjoy this now, um, but I'm not going to make it a regular occurrence because it doesn't help you with your goals. I think that's a, a really and, good and this rule that I created for myself and that I've found with clients works very well. If you're going to do it, do it properly. Again, don't go and binge, you know, go to a 7-Eleven and buy all the chocolates. and th- No, 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 no. Buy something that it's really worthwhile. Like I said, you know, the Gordon Ramsay donut. Here's something. I We were in England last year, and I don't remember the name of this small uh, tea restaurant or thing. Uh, it's from Ferre Adria, one of the the brother of the owner of the Bully, in, uh, the, one, of, one of the famous, most famous restaurants in, in, in Spain for years. And he opened this like champagne um, tea store or restaurant. And uh, I went there with uh, Marisol, my fiance, and so they, they only sell champagne and small, uh, you know, cupcakes and things like that. And they had this uh, amazing, um, you know, uh, like a net, like a Ferrero egg. But you know, you, you know how they, they are in this uh, restaurant. Like everything show and it's experience. And like, and we had like probably three or four desserts in between uh, the two of us. Of course, there were like minuscule desserts at uh, twenty dollars each or so. But yeah, that's experience and it's worth it, right? I'm, we're not binging on, on sweets. We're, it's an experience and yes, yeah, not keto and drinking uh, like a sparkling wine with all uh, these uh, probably high carbs, high sugar things, but it's experience, it's worth it. It's not, I'm going to Italy and then you eat a, a slice of pizza on the street. No, it probably, I myself don't care about that that much because I know that if I go to Italy, I'd rather uh, try the different foods that are keto-based because, again, you're going to another country, not another planet. There's keto everywhere. There's meat everywhere. There are eggs everywhere. And Italy has a great cuisine that is not all pasta-based. There's, like, a, probably people just go to an olive garden or a restaurant, an Italian restaurant. Like, if you look at the, uh, at the menu, probably you're going to find at least 30% is not pasta-based. And the same happens with Spain. I have family in Spain. And... People think, oh, Spain, just paella and tapas and bread. It's like, no, there's like 
a whole other part which is super uh, seafood based. Uh, you have uh, lots of uh, pork and things like that that have nothing to do with uh, uh, with carbs. Same with France, Russia, uh, uh, Japan. I was in Japan like uh, 15 years ago, and I never had to eat rice unless I wanted. Like I could eat, uh, king, uh, you know, uh, they have like these soups with beef and, and eggs and so on. So it's only how you look at things, and if you want to use that as an excuse, well, you're going to get an excuse for everything. If you want to stay on track with your diet and your diet or nutrition is more important for you, you can always prepare or research or, or you know, adjust. Absolutely. Um, again, and another great mentality and another great habit to have is kind of researching that and looking at uh, the other options that you have available to you and not assuming that um, just because you're traveling, you're going to, let's say, break your diet in, in, in inverted commas. Um, it's a, still a chance to enjoy the cuisine, but not necessarily uh, binge, uh, which a lot of people unfortunately fall into. Um, Luis, like I said, this conversation has been absolutely fantastic. and I'm so grateful for uh, your, your uh, experience and your expertise. Um, if people want to follow you or find out more about you, what, what's the best way to do that? Okay, so see there, anything that you see Keto Gains on the web see, is us. So it's, uh, of course, uh, Keto Gains on Instagram, Keto Gains on Facebook. Uh, we have a very active Facebook group. If you want to join, uh, you have to request to join. Uh, we also have a Reddit group, Keto Gains as well. Uh, and that's it. Basically, just Keto Gains are now mostly big social media platforms. We're there. Fantastic. And I'll pop links to those in the show notes of the episode. Uh, Luis, thank you very, very much for joining me today. Um, I would love to have, uh, we, we could have, this conversation could have gone on to a lot of other topics. So I think I'm going to have to speak with you um, another time uh, just to cover all of those. But um, thank you and um, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Richie. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Health Scientist Podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed and maybe even learned something from what we've spoken about today. And if you did, I'd love it if you could leave a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, or maybe even share a link on social media, in your Instagram stories, Facebook, Twitter, even LinkedIn. It really helps spread word of the podcast, which means I can continue to get great guests to speak about different topics in health, which means more content for you. It really means a huge amount to me personally too. If you ever want to watch one of the podcasts live or ask questions to any of the guests, you can do so by following me on Instagram at be more nutrition. That's at B underscore more underscore nutrition. And I'd love to hear your comments and feedback about the podcast. So please comment on the podcast post or feel free to drop me a message directly. And if you ever have a suggestion for a guest that you'd like to hear, please do let me know. I'll be back soon with another podcast. See you then.